tonight we will be finishing out Haggai, not only chapter 2, but the entire book. I will be reading in verse 10. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil of any kind of, or food, a food, does it become holy? The priests answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and says, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so it is with this people. And with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of, his, of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward. Before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the wine vat to draw fifty measures, there was but twenty. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. For from this day on, I will bless you. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the twenty-fourth day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms and the nations and overthrow the chariots and the riders, and the horses and the riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shittil, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Um, as you can see, as we start this last section, it is on the 24th day of the ninth month. And if you look at uh, chapter 1, verse 1, this is in the sixth month on the first day of the month. So we are now three months removed from the beginning of Haggai to now to the ending of Haggai. And we are in the post-exilic um, era. And this is that the Israelites were taken into captivity by the Babylonians in 587 A.D., or BC, and now have returned after 70 years to Israel, back to their nation. And that's where we find ourselves, once again, um, as the people are charged by God to rebuild the temple, and yet have fallen, as we have heard for the past three weeks, into complacency, into laziness, into disobedience to the commandments of God. And so, to continue to highlight this disobedience, to continue to call out the people for their, um, we'll say, complacency, Haggai now speaks a parable to the people of Israel. And we see this starting um, in verse 11. Thus is the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. And what's interesting, though, is that we have a prophet asking the priests about the law. And so I think um, we might not have a well-informed understanding as to like, the differences in the roles of the priests and the prophets. The role of the priests were to um, intercede on behalf of the people to God. And so they were in charge of not only handling the sacrifices as they were. Oh, okay. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay, wait, sorry, just clarify. <laughs> okay. uh, sorry. 
the role of the priest. Oh, I, okay, she's sorry. Um, in charge of the temple to atone for the sins of the people were to offer sacrifices. They were also in charge of leading the congregation, the, pe- the nation of Israel, into songs, into worship, into singing and chanting to our God. Um, they were also in charge of interceding on behalf of the people, crying out for forgiveness of sins and asking God to be merciful to them. And also, the priests were in charge of teaching. That wasn't necessarily the role of the prophet, that was the role of the priests, to be the teachers of Israel, to teach them the law. For they were the ones who were set apart from the rest of the nation to teach and have the nation observe it. Where the prophet, the role of the prophet was to rebuke the people, to bring them back to obedience, back to the teaching of of God's law that the priests are to be teaching. And so we see this throughout the Old Testament where prophets come when priests have gone astray, when priests are not um, fulfilling their role or their calling and they are perverting or uh, getting wrong God's law. And so God calls um, the prophet Haggai to now go to the priest and to ask about these laws. And so here um, we have the Haggai asking about two specific laws. So it says, ask the priest about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold the bread or stew or wine or oil of any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then secondly, the second law, then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Both of these answers are correct, and there's a rightful understanding of what the purity law is. And so we, this goes more in depth in the book of Leviticus, which I'm sure we all love to study and spend time in. But you, there are three major, um, let's say, subsets in Leviticus that get highlighted and get emphasis. The purity law is one of them. We, this is the, um, it's probably most uh, known on, based on the animals that purity law talks about. You know, it's like pork or camels or bats. You know, it highlights that there are some animals that are unclean, and then it highlights for the people of Israel that there are animals that are clean for them to do but it goes more in depth when it comes to things like body fluid and like what to do with it how to engage with it as well as skin disease and like leprosy and that's why that's such emphasized in the new testament and like who jesus interacts with or doesn't but also when it comes to dead bodies as well and although it might seem insignificant or random to us for the people of israel there was real connotation there was real um understanding into it because these things have the difference between life and death and so the purity law um, the purity yeah the purity law the ritual purity was uh used by god to show the um, nation of israel not only their sinfulness in light of who the holy god is but also to make them holy in comparison to the nations surrounding them and so now god uh haggai is using this law to help paint in or to make people the people of Israel are aware of their own uncleanliness. And so what's being communicated that is if something is holy, holy meat in the fold of his garment, touches um, with the bread or stew or wine or any kind of food, does it become holy? And the priest said no. And so it's difficult, essentially, for something that is holy to then make unclean things more holy. It's more difficult for that, and it's much easier for something that is unclean to then make other things unclean. And what he's referencing here, what he's getting at is the heart of the people of Israel. It's saying that your hearts are not holy. And so thus you do not produce holy things. You do not make things holy. Actually, your hearts are evil. Your hearts are wicked. Your hearts are unclean. And so thus the fruit of your works are unclean. 
And it goes straight into this in um, verse 15, verse 14. And Haggai answered and said, So it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And you see the frustration. It's not this my people, not my nation. It's this people. There, there's a clear frustration and anger of the Lord as to the um, reality and to the temperature check of the hearts of his people, if you will. And he goes on to say, and so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. And so God, through his prophet Haggai, is specifically condemning not only the actions and the works of his people, but even more specifically their hearts. And that because they are unclean, they cannot produce um, cleanliness. They cannot produce holiness. They cannot produce acts that are righteous and pleasing to God. And we see the fruit of this in the following verses, um, through 15 through 19. Now then consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? And so he's referencing back to the beginning of Haggai, three months prior. We're saying even when the, uh, the temple was started, where was your heart posture then? When, what was the condition of your heart then? It was still wicked. It was still unclean then. And even now, there has been no repentance. There has been no transformation. There has been no change. And then he continues, um, When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one, when one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there was but 20. I struck you in all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day to the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. So Haggai is testifying to the reality on the ground. He's saying, like, look how unclean you are. Look, look how wicked your heart is. You expect there to be an abundance. You expect there to do the promises of God to provide and to have a storage and a wealth of food and daily provision of your daily bread and yet because of your disobedience because of your complacency there isn't there it, it's instead of draw 50 measures but 20 instead of uh, 20 heaps there's but 10 and then even into verse 19 is the seed in the barn indeed the vine the fig tree the pomegranate and the olive tree have yielded nothing and so this is a um it, it's interesting commentaries depending on who you read might say that this is in reference to um that so, and we, we don't have this problem necessarily today, but whenever they would harvest, um, let's say their entire field, they would have to keep some aside in order to plant it for the following year. And so they couldn't just eat or consume all of it. And so some people might argue that their complacency is that they haven't yet planted the seed needed as necessary for them to be able to harvest it in the next season of life. Or some might say there's actually no, there's nothing in the barn. There's nothing in storage. Like you have nothing to plant so then to depend on to harvest the year following. And so Haggai, again, is, is specifically highlighting what is happening on the ground. Saying look at your experience. Look at your lives. Like can't you see that the sinfulness is bringing more sinfulness, sinfulness and that is immediately impacting your day-to-day -day living? Um. And so oftentimes um, the greatest way to show people that they are a sin is to show them their life, is to look at the ways that their selfishness is disrupting their relationships, to show them how their pride is actually hurting the people they claim to love and care about the most, um, and how a sin basically is impacting them on the ground.
Um, and so we cannot please God without a pure heart. There's a necessity that not only can we just, you know, check the box and just, you know, read scripture, or go to church, but there, God demands a pure heart in our obedience to serve and to worship him. It says in 1 Timothy 1.5, the aim of our charge is love that, that uh, saves from a pure heart and a good, that comes, sorry, that comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And so in light of the wickedness, in light of the complacency, in light of the heart of um, Israel, nonetheless, we have the wonderful promise of uh, the, the second portion of verse 19. As a seed yet in the barn, and do the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. And we see there is nothing. There is nothing to root this in based on the actions or the heart or what the Israelites have done or actually in what they have not done. This is the Lord being faithful to his covenantal promises and that he has chosen these people and he will save them. He will redeem them. He will bring them onto himself. There's nothing, there's no reason for God to do this. Actually, in fact, in the entire book, you know, in all of Haggai, there's nothing. The Israelites are not the heroes, nor are they painted in a positive light. And so, nonetheless, but from this day on, I will bless you. And that then moves us into the last portion of Haggai. It says in verse 20, The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day. So on the, the exact same day now, he says, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and earth, to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and the riders. The horses and the riders shall go down, everyone by sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant and son of Sheatil, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. So here is the Lord, again, blessing his people and reminding the, his people of who he is. So we have this language now, and although it does say, I'm about to, um, depending on who you read, might argue this is something that already happened. Like when they, he uses language, um, I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and the riders. Some may say that this is in reference to uh, Pharaoh and, the, and his army who pursued them into the Red Sea and that like, God overthrew the most powerful nation at that time. But some yet might say that this is yet to come, that this is something to look forward to. But nonetheless, is highlighting what God will do, the promises that he will um, save his people, that he will bring all his enemies under his foothold. And so what's interesting, though, is that this, so where um, the first portion that I talked about is specifically to um, like all the people, to all of Israel, now is specifically to Zerubbabel. Um, This is specifically talking to him. And so the significance of him is that there's actually not that much. Um, The people understand that there will be a Messiah who comes from the lineage of David. And the only significance about Zerubbabel is that he is from the line of David. And so in order to um, motivate or to encourage the people to rebuild the temple and to be obedient, um, it's understood potentially that God blesses them with an example, with a potential leader in Zerubbabel to be the one who reigns in the messianic reign, who rebuilds the temple. But however, um, as we read in scripture, as we know from history, Zerubbabel is is not the Messiah. He's not the one chosen to usher in the, the final kingdom of God. And actually, he doesn't even establish a kingdom. He doesn't even 
get to wear a crown. Like in light of where Israel is in this time of history, like they never become the the power that they once were, as we read about with King David or King Solomon. They actually just continue to disappear in a lot of ways. And Haggai is a third to last book that we have in the Old Testament. But nonetheless, it ends with this longing, with this hope, with this anticipation that is, that is partially covered in Zerubbabel as a type of Christ, as he has the, um, it says, the, the signet ring, which is essentially would be the, the seal or the oath of a king um, that they would put on, like let's say, letters or to commands that they would send out. And the idea is like the, your, um, your signet or your ring or your, your oath, your symbol um, would have direct like power or connotation to who you are and what you're capable of doing. But there's no reason for God to choose Zerubbabel. There's nothing, you know, like he just came out of captivity. Like who, who would choose a king such as this to lead his people? And so nonetheless, we get a picture or a type of, um, of Christ in the sense of that Christ would be the one who is, you know, is not beautiful, is not appealing, is not looked upon, is not fond of, you know, like who would choose a, a servant king to come and to rule as people that would die for us. Um, but nonetheless, there is a great emphasis on the very last verse, for I have chosen you to declare the Lord of hosts. Between that and then also the second um, portion of verse 19, but from this day on, I will bless you. And the reality is, like, God will choose who he chooses, and he will bless who he will bless. And there's no significance as to who we are or what we can do or what we have done that can, um, that impacts or influences the will of God and for his kingdom comes for his will to be done. So then we end Haggai with this longing, with this anticipation of the temple being rebuilt, which it would be rebuilt. And actually, when we refer to it, um, if you refer to the second temple, it's also referred to as Zerubbabel's temple. And it's interesting because although he doesn't become a king, although he doesn't wear a crown, he does um, lead the people into obedience to eventually rebuilding the temple, um, as we can lead on, read on later. But nonetheless, we wrap Haggai up with a longing anticipation of looking forward to a messianic king who will usher in the kingdom of God and that will be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So, pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are a God who is rooted in history, Lord. You have revealed yourself at times that you have seen best and fitting and uh, Lord, we know that your, your wisdom and your timing is perfect, God. So we thank you for the book of Haggai, Lord. I want the joy and blessing is to be able to study and to walk through it as a group. Um, we pray, Lord, that we just continue to have good and faithful conversations, Lord. So I pray, Lord, that you would stir our hearts to ask good questions, Lord, and to share what you are pressing on us, God, and that this time can just be so encouraging and uplifting, Lord. Um, Lord, we gather for your name, for your name alone. And so we just ask you, Lord, to be glorified and to, that you would just be delighted and pleased in um, our conversation today. Now we just live for you, God. Um, Lord, we are reminded that our hearts need to be renewed. Our hearts need to be transformed. Um, they must be washed as white as snow, God. And we're just so thankful for the promises, Lord. Although we have a heart of stone, you have given us a heart of flesh. So, Lord, will we just recognize this? Will we consider our ways as is um, charged in Haggai, Lord, and see the ways that we can become more obedient and faithful and serving and living for you, Lord, not for our own kingdom, not for our own will, but for yours and yours alone. 
Thank you, Lord, that you're just such a heavenly Father who cares for us, who knows our needs and meets us where we are in your perfect timing. It's your holy name. We just ask and pray all these things. Amen.